One of the most frustrating things for many of us to deal with is being asked to do a job that confuses us and that we are not prepared to do. I've discovered this gets a lot worse as you become an adult because there's all these adult ideas and terms that you are expected to know that when you're just kind of new to being an adult, you don't actually know. And somebody says something just very simply and they expect you to know what to do with it. So I remember going to college and being nervous about a job and I said, you know, Dad, I hope I did this right. And he goes, oh, don't worry. I'm sure you gave the appropriate withholding on your W-4. And I said, yep, absolutely. Did the thing on the thing? Yes, absolutely. Maybe you've been asked, uh, have you checked your oil level with the dipstick? He said, the dipstick in this situation is me. I don't know what that means. Uh, when you buy a house, there is a whole other plane that this comes up to. Does the house have a water softener? I don't know. What's a water softener do? Is it salt water soft enough as it started? Um, uh, does your house have baseboard heat, blown air, or forced water? I don't know what any of those things mean. I know that it was warm when we were in there. It was July, so that doesn't help much. Um, another classic one. Uh, so was that a fixed rate mortgage and how many points were on it? I didn't think it was a basketball game. I didn't realize there were points. Uh, if so, I'm probably losing based on how much money I owe. I think I'm negative like five billion or something like that. All of these things can stress us out. And it gets even worse when we are embarrassed because we think we should know the thing that everyone else thinks that we should know. The boss wants me to reduce the DPI on this JPEG and I'm going to get fired because I'm not going to be able to handle that. Or the worst, uh, when you first get married, this was me, I first got married, my wife has asked for a socket wrench. I'm really not sure what she means by a socket <laughs> wrench. In all of these moments, um, we can get a little stressed out and we can say, what job is it? What do we want? What are we supposed to do? Um, with the White Station kids here this week, this happened to me several years ago on your trip, actually. We were working with a local elementary school and the principal wanted us to help in the yard. And she said, if you would just go pick up some loom and bring it over, then we can work on the yard. So I was like, sure. And it was in an email. I can't have gotten this word wrong. So I go to Google, I type in loom yard, nothing. I mean, I'm getting sleeping beauty, I'm getting textiles, I'm putting loom, 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 nothing. L-O-O-M? That's how she spelled it. And so I'm Googling and I'm Googling and I'm Googling. And finally I called Bruce Bates. I said, Bruce, dear God, help me. And he goes, oh, she means loam, L-O-A-M. So well, why'd she spell it loom? And he goes, I don't know, some people do that, but that's not what it's called, it's loam. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and here I was, it was my kid's school. I thought, she's gonna think that our kids are idiots if I show up with a loom to make, you know, a scarf or something. <laughs> And we just have those moments where we feel like we're being asked to do something that we don't know how to do and we can't handle it. And in those moments, we just feel stressed out. We feel like an intern in a movie with coffee cups falling out of our hands. And we're like, I just, this is too much. I can't deal with this. And I want to impress people. I want to look like an adult. This is my first job. I want to look like I'm competent. I don't want the boss to fire me. I don't want my spouse to think they've married a loser. Like all of these kinds of things that go through our head. I don't know how to handle this. For much of my life, that is the way the Great Commission has felt to me. When I read that Jesus sends us out to do stuff in the world, 
I'm like, oh, what do you even mean by this? Like, I've got the words and I've heard sermons on it, but you're sending me out to do something that feels really, really difficult. If you're kind of new to Scripture, you may not know uh, the Scripture well. We're going to read it right now. It's Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is after Jesus' resurrection. This is why there's only eleven disciples. The twelfth one has just killed himself because he betrayed Jesus. Jesus died and then raised from the dead. So the eleven went with Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Uh, it's a very quick scripture, a very small scripture. It's kind of amazing how little we know about Jesus post-resurrection. He keeps it very brief here. And when I always heard this from a preacher, I just got real nervous. I just, I felt like I had this big responsibility. Uh, I kind of felt like, you know, that you had one job meme that goes around. You had one job. I felt like this is my one job and I don't know how to do it. And I always felt guilty. Every time the Great Commission was preached, I would feel guilty. So much so that I did what a lot of us did, is I found ways to appease my guilt for a period of time. I would go to a conference or a seminar where they taught me about this. And I would sit there and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then for like three months, I'm like, I went to that conference. I'm doing the Great Commission. I feel better about it. And then the guilt would start to trip. And you know, I'm just not doing that. It's my one job, and I'm not doing it. And it was confusing. There's so much in it. First of all, there's this thing about go. And I'm like, well, where am I supposed to go? And how far do I have to go? Does this mean that I have to live in some country without indoor plumbing? Or am I allowed to go next door? Is that far enough? What counts as go. And then there was the whole thing, uh, and, and you know, and going scares us because places are different. Places are strange. You guys from Memphis, some of you maybe already find Rhode Island to be a very weird place. You've looked around and you're like, this is not like Memphis. And going is scary because it means going to something we're uncomfortable with, something that's foreign to us. Um, then there's the part about making disciples. I don't know about you, most church people, I think, immediately go, oh, I don't know enough information to do that. I can't make a disciple. When somebody asks me to open my favorite Bible verse, I can't even find it. And here I am, I'm supposed to go make a disciple? What does the word disciple even mean, right? Like you're just, it just seems like such a huge task. And I've known people that have thrown their lives into academic study, hoping that they'll learn enough information that they will know how to make a disciple. And then they get a master's degree or a doctorate degree, and they look back and they go, there was never any disciple-making classes. There was a lot of classes on Greek and Hebrew, but disciple-making somehow never, ever showed up on the curriculum. And we just think we can learn our way through because we don't know what else to do. Then there's that whole bit about baptism. And honestly, I think, oops, sorry, that was my fault. Go to the baptism slide. There's that whole bit about baptism. That freaks us out. Okay, that freaks everybody out. Um, if you've never done a baptism, it really, you start to think about it. You're like, okay, I'm going to make sure this person does not drown as I do this. Like, that's really important. What, and then you ask questions, this is going to sound silly, but you ask questions certainly like, well, what do I do if they're handicapped? What do I do if they're fat? 
What do I do? You know, like you just start having like all these thoughts of like, if there is somebody that is hard to maneuver, if he's six six and I'm five eight, how do you baptize a six eight guy, right? Like, there's all these questions, and that's normal. At um, undergrad, there was a class that we called the Mary and Barry class, and it was the class that taught you how to do weddings, how to do funerals, all that kind of stuff. One of the topics in the Mary Barry class is how to baptize people. And it's like, hey, let's get the stories out. Like, have you ever, you know, had to baptize somebody who had 150 pounds on you? Or have you ever had to baptize, you know, what's the youngest person? What, have you ever been in the ocean and it started to take the person away? Like, there's all these silly things that start to come into your head. Like, I really don't want to mess this up. And so it all just seems so far beyond us and so foreign. And it starts to feel like something where we've been asked to get ourselves back to shore. This is an image for our members that we're hitting every week with this sermon series. That our faith so often feels like being in the middle of the ocean and we're trying to get ourselves back to shore and we don't know how to do it. And the people who've been here know that the answer to those questions are usually, what? The Holy Spirit. Thanks. Somebody was listening. We've been going through this whole series about how the Holy Spirit is this breeze and this wind that helps you move and helps you to do things. And what's really cool is that even though Matthew gets billed as the Great Commission, there is another, what I believe is a Great Commission and sending passage in John. And John's is deeply centered in the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and go to the scripture uh, slide. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day, oops, sorry. On the evening of the first day of that week, when the disciples were together, when the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he shoved them, he showed them his hands and his side. <laughs> Maybe he felt like that. But he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Uh, this passage really functions similarly in John to the way Matthew, this passage in Matthew serves to Matthew. It is Jesus' final declaration to the people to go out and to go do his work. And what I think is really interesting about this is that um, there's this, this kind of way that these passages speak to each other. Jesus here provides them the Holy Spirit. Theologians will debate about this because in, uh, in Luke's work, Luke and Acts, it's the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And we just celebrated Pentecost, I think, just a week or two ago. And so that is the way the book of Acts talks about the Spirit coming. Here, John has kind of an alternate version, an additional version. People fuss about it. But Jesus here literally blows on them the wind of the Holy Spirit. This idea of the Holy Spirit as a wind or a breath or a breeze is something that's very common. Earlier in the book of John, Jesus had talked about how the Holy Spirit moves like the wind and goes wherever he wants and does whatever he chooses. And so here, there's this almost miraculous scene where Jesus blows and the Holy Spirit comes and he fills their life. And these two passages, I think, clarify each other well. Matthew says, I give you authority. And Jesus here makes that kind of uh, clearer. And he says, um, whatever, you know, if you forgive some of their sins, they'll be forgiven. And if you don't, they won't. Okay, that's authority. 
I usually try to put images on here of the concepts we talk about. Guess what? Google has zero positive images about authority. We live in a world that hates authority. Uh, we think of it as authoritarianism. We think about communism. We think about despots. We think about people that restrict freedoms. As Americans, the last thing you want is anybody with any authority because you're the one who's in charge of your own life. And so it's really hard for us. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I give you my authority. When you go out, you are doing my business in my name. And people go, well, what's up with this? Why are you doing this? Who gave you the right to do this? Oh, Jesus did, the king of the universe. And that sounds a little weird in our context. But there's this belief that God has authority. He's given you the right to go out and to do his work and be his representative. And that cuts both ways. That means you can do really good things or really bad things. For our white station kids, this may sound scary. This week, you had the opportunity to really make Jesus look good. And you had the opportunity to really make Jesus look bad. Your behavior will determine how people will think about Jesus to some degree this week. Because you're the living litmus test. We all are the living litmus test. How we live day in, day out tells people whether or not they should buy into this Jesus thing or give it, or give it up. And so that's the kind of thing that we have with authority. When Jesus says to go out um, into all the world, here they're sent as well. We know the Holy Spirit gives us direction. The book of Acts talks about how the Spirit guides Paul from place to place to place to know where he goes. So we say, well, how do I know where to go? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who helps you figure out where to go. Um, how do we make disciples? Here's a really great thing. Matthew kind of left you with the bill, but John kind of helps you out. The Holy Spirit is the one who really makes disciples. The Holy Spirit is the one that touches people's hearts, moves people. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as a convicting spirit in an upcoming sermon and the way that that works. Um, and then finally, when Jesus says, I'll be with you always in Matthew, how does that look? Well, it looks like the Holy Spirit indwelling Christians. I don't think that's the only way Jesus is present with us, but I think there is this idea, again, we'll talk about this in a future sermon, that the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, that it is Jesus' living presence in our life. And when you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit, that is the way God is coming alongside you and nudging you and moving you. All right, so this all things a little bit in theology land, right? We're like, oh, let's properly explain these scriptures to you so that you can understand them. And some of you who are Bible nerds are like scribbling down, oh, this is so awesome, this is interesting. Some of you are like, yeah, what do I do with this? Um, I want you to see today that the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in John, is a gift that is given to you to go do a job. Uh, if you're a fantasy nerd of any kind, like me, I say that very affectionately, you know that a very common motif in fantasy literature is the giving of a gift in order to do the great journey. Luke Skywalker gets given a lightsaber. Um, Galdriel, someone's going to correct me on this. Lord of the Rings, there's the Fellowship of the Rings. And Galdriel, the elf lady that is Mick Jagger's wife, or Mick Jagger's daughter, comes in and she gives every person a gift so that they all have something to help them do their job. My favorite is uh, the gifts that Santa Claus, literally, gives the children uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia. They're gifts from Aslan. And, and he gives one a bow, he gives one a sword. Little Lucy gets the healing potion that she keeps with her from a time of emergency. 
And in all these stories and all these mythologies, the idea is you're getting sent out to do this great quest and it is scary and it is frightening and you are underprepared. And so the individual who sort of represents God blesses you, maybe a mentor blesses you and says, this is your gift to do your job. And that is the same way that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. He says, you're about to go do this job. I am sending you to do this job. Here are the gifts that you need to get them done. And the gift, the only one we need, really, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in our life to give us direction, to give us, uh, to help convict hearts, to uh, help us to be wise. There's all these things that we've talked about that the Holy Spirit does. But I want to particularly focus on this idea that you have a partner with you on the journey. That if you come to a question that goes, I don't know how to do that, Jesus goes, yeah, I know, that's why you've got the Holy Spirit with you. That's why you have that gift, so that you can handle it. It takes away much of our anxiety. Uh, this week, you are sent people. Uh, for our teens at White Station, obviously you are on my mind and heart as I prepared this sermon. You are being sent to go do good work. And the gift that your Father gives you to do that work is the Holy Spirit. And so as you go about this week, don't fear, don't be worried, don't, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, you may even get a job, we'll try to not do this. Sometimes someone goes, oh, here's a hoe, go take care of taking the weeds. And you're like, well, I don't know how to use this, right? Whatever that moment is, the Spirit will help you, it will guide you, it will direct you. He's here to help um, do that work with you. But that's true of all of us. We are all sent this week to do the work of God and the, the, the tool that we are given to do that. The person that we are given to be our partner on that journey is the Holy Spirit. And when we lean into that and trust, trust that he will take care of it and we don't have to, it empowers us for mission. When you live with the Spirit, one of the ways it looks different is you go do scary stuff and you're okay with it because you're like, hey, this is what I got called to do and this is what the Holy Spirit's going to help me do. I have my gift. I have what I need. I'm ready for my adventure. It's my prayer that all followers of Jesus this week will realize that you are sent, that you have authority, but you have responsibility, and that the Holy Spirit will help you in it. We're going to have a song now. It's, uh, we kind of call it a reflection song. So as that goes, you can fill out your Q&A cards if you have any questions, and I will pick them up. After that song, we'll do the Q&A.